What kind of characteristics do you look for in a friend? Who do you like to hang out with? If you're going to spend a lot of time with someone, what do you look for? Loyalty? Mutual respect? Good sense of humor? Similar interests? C.S. Lewis says that the difference between lovers and friends is that lovers stand face to face, looking into each other's eyes, totally enthralled with each other and oblivious to what's going on around them. Friends stand shoulder to shoulder, looking out on the world together with a similar viewpoint and similar goals. What does it mean to be a good friend, a good neighbor, someone that people want to be around? In a way, that's the question that Psalm 15 asks. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? We could translate that as, who gets to hang out with you, God? Whose company do you enjoy? Or, if God were going to have some people over for pizza and a movie, who would he invite? Perhaps surprisingly for a lot of us, the person that Psalm 15 describes as the kind of person that God approves of isn't primarily a religious person. At least, not as many people would think of a religious person. The kind of person that God wants as his friend or neighbor is actually the same kind of person that I think we would all like to have as our neighbor, or better yet, that we'd all like to be as a neighbor. We're in the middle of a series called Living from the Inside Out. We started by looking at our hearts, the center of our being, and at 1 Peter 3.15, which calls us to honor the Lord Christ as holy in our hearts. And so we talked about living with God and what holiness means. Then last week, we talked about living with yourself and our need for each one of us to cultivate humility, what Romans 12.3 describes as having an honest assessment of yourself. And if you missed those, and you'd like to fill in the gaps in the series, you can go to www.stpaulunionchurch.com and you'll be able to find the podcasts and the video archives there. This week, we're expanding the circle a little bit more as we talk about how important integrity is to living with your neighbor. Then next week, we'll continue with justice and living in society. And in the following week, we'll finish with stewardship and living in creation. And there is a logical order to all of this. It's only once we've submitted ourselves to God and have him at the center of our lives that we're free to really see who we are. And it's only once we really know who we are ourselves and we're securing God's love for us that we can become free to live lives of integrity in front of the people around us. But before we go any further, we need to clarify something. The first verse of the psalm reads, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? And I want to clarify that this isn't intended as some kind of um, test of membership. The Bible is very clear in both the New and Old Testaments that the only way we can approach God, hum- approach God is humbly, asking forgiveness for our sins and trusting His grace, His grace towards us. And yet, people consistently tend to believe 
that we have to be good people before we come to God. Whereas the scripture actually teaches that it's by coming to God that we become good people. You see, if you ask most people, even many church people, how the Ten Commandments begins. And most people will say, you shall have no other gods before me. But they actually begin with the words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Because the Ten Commandments aren't set out as a way to gain God's favor. They're set out as an outline of the way that people who have already been saved by God should then live. And in the same way, the goal of a passage like Psalm 15 is to remind us of the kind of behavior that God expects of his children. Not to set up some kind of checklist that you need to conform to in order to be accepted by him. And if you're still wondering about that, I recommend you look at Luke 18, 9-7. That's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, where the Pharisee is this really religious person who goes up and boasts to God, basically, in the temple about how religious he is. And you almost get the, get the sense that he thinks that God should be you know, you know, happy for his company, thankful for his company. But that's not how it works. Nothing we do can earn the right to be in God's presence. It's only by his grace that we can come to live with him. Now having said that, Psalm 15 does describe the kind of person that God wants us to become because that's the kind of person that he is. Because the Bible teaches that a person who is right with God will begin to develop a godly character and will behave in certain ways towards their neighbors. And there's lots of examples of that. One in the New Testament is 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And the Old Testament says essentially the same thing here in Psalm 15. Being right with God results in doing right with others. So what does it mean to be someone who walks with God? Well, Psalm 15 says it means being someone whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. Blameless. What does that mean? Who who of us would be willing to say that we're blameless? I know I wouldn't. However, I think that word is actually an unfortunate translation. The New American Standard translates that phrase, he who walks with integrity which is actually much more true to the root meaning of the Hebrew word, which means whole, complete, or healthy. It's the word that was used to describe animals that were acceptable for sacrifice in the temple. You couldn't sacrifice, for instance, a sheep with a broken leg because it wasn't whole, healthy, complete. So being a person of integrity means that your whole life is one complete unit. It's integrated. You can have healthy relationships because you're not different, a different person with, with different people in different places or different friends. A person with integrity is consistent in what he or, see, he or she says and what he or she does. Their inside life and their outside life match. At the beginning of this series, I said that one of our biggest problems is that we tend to live from the outside in rather than the inside out. We allow people to um, 
shape us. We allow their expectations to decide how we, we would behave. And we behave in a particular way in church, but then we go and behave differently uh, at work or at home because, um, because we are shaped by people's expectations rather than by something deep in our core. So one of, one of the reasons why some people don't bring their friends to church because they know that their friends wouldn't recognize the person that they become when they're around Christians. Like many people, we still have a house back in our passport country in Canada. Uh, it's, it's in an old Victorian neighborhood of downtown Hamilton. It was built in 1893. And um, actually, many of you have seen our neighborhood. If you might even have seen our house. Um, that's because literally hundreds of movies and TV shows are made in Hamilton. More than 50% of the time, if a show is set in the US, it's actually filmed in Canada. It's cheaper that way. And so some of us play spot location in movies and TV shows. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we started watching Self Made on Netflix. Uh, it's set in Indianapolis in the early 1900s. But less than 15 minutes into the first episode, we went, that's James Street, like five minutes from our house, five minute walk from our house. And then after that, it was all about identifying locations in the show. And that's typical. Uh, the first X-Men movie, uh, scenes were shot in our neighborhood in Hamilton, literally five minutes from our house. Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe and Rennie Zellweger was shot totally in our neighborhood. Uh, Resident Evil, the Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis. Finding Forrester with Sean Connery. Hairspray with John Travolta. Million Dollar Baby with Clint Eastwood and Hilary Swank. All shot in our neighborhood. The gunfight at the beginning of the Robocop, Robocop reboot in 2014 was shot in our street. Yeah, we got um, notes in our mailboxes that said... Uh, it took them weeks, it took them weeks to set up the set for a four and a half minute sequence. That's why movies cost so much. Um, anyway, so we got, we got uh, eventually we got uh, notes in our mailbox which said, Dear Householder, over the next three nights we will be filming. Between one o'clock, between midnight and three o'clock in the morning, you may hear gunshots. Please do not be alarmed. But the biggest set piece sequence filmed in Hamilton, has to be the big fight at the end of The Incredible Hulk, which was filmed on Main Street, about five blocks from our house, complete with explosions, burning cars, and full-size vehicles flying through the air on wires. Uh, so I hadn't been on Main Street for a couple of weeks. I didn't even know there was going to be a shoot. So you know, a week or so before the shoot, I turn onto Main Street, and it's like, where did all those buildings come from? Because where previously there had just been uh, empty parking lots. Now there were six or seven story buildings. I mean, they looked like real buildings. But as I drove down the street, I realized that when you came to the end of the wall, it just stopped. The front wall of the building, it just stopped. It didn't go around the corner. There was nothing behind the front wall except scaffolding holding it up. They were fake frontages thrown up to, to look good on camera, but actually having no real substance. And that's how some of us organize our lives. We manage to make everything look great on the surface, but the view from, the behind, from behind the scenes tells a very different story. 
Integrity means that our lives look the same from behind the scenes as they do when they're on camera. The rest of this psalm is actually a series of examples, both positive and negative, of what it looks like to live a life of integrity. So let's take some time to unpack what it looks like to be people of integrity, people who live well with their neighbours. First of all, people of integrity are those who do what is right. It talks about who walks with integrity and who does what is righteous. Now sometimes I get frustrated with the religious language, like this word righteous, for instance. It sounds big and heavy and religious, but it actually means, its basic meaning is what's right. To be a person of integrity means doing what's right. God is absolutely righteous because he always does what's right. Now, the problem, of course, is that what's right can be something of a moving target. When the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, God displays his righteousness, his rightness, by rescuing them. When they became rebellious and oppressive themselves in a promised land, God displays his righteousness, his rightness, by sending them into exile in Babylon. It was right for God to rescue the people when they were suffering, and it was right for him to punish them by sending them into exile when they were decadent. Like I said, doing the right thing can sometimes be a bit of a moving target. That's why it's important that we study Scripture and understand what God is like so that we can make right decisions in any given situation based on our knowledge of him and what he would have us do in that situation. A person of integrity is someone who speaks the truth from his heart. Remember we talked about the heart a couple of weeks ago? It's who you are at your core. This is one of the reasons why we're doing the things in, this, in the order they are in this season, in this series. We need to speak the truth from our, from our heart, what's deep within us, not what's expected from people on the outside. In the same way, humility comes before integrity because it's, it's hard to be truthful with people around you when you're busy lying to yourself. And while we're talking about talking, the next phrase says, and has no slander on his tongue. Now that sounded pretty straightforward until I looked in the commentary and discovered that it literally reads, who has not tripped over his tongue. Isn't that a great picture? guy whose tongue is so long that it gets down, to, gets down to the ground and you trip over it. You know, like Odie, you know, the dog in the Garfield cartoons. Now, in one sense, it could just mean that you don't talk too much. But the person who doesn't trip over his tongue is also someone who tells the truth. They don't have to think about what they're going to say next or spin it as politicians do, for instance. A friend of mine once said, the great thing about telling the truth is that you never have to remember what it was that you said. That's great for me because I have a terrible memory. On the other hand, when someone is lying, they often stumble over what they're saying. That's because they're making up as they go along and they trip over their tongues in the process. So he talked about doing what's right. But in verse 3, we see that a person of integrity is also someone who does, no wrong, does his neighbor no wrong. You know, that's part of the oath that doctors take, to first do no harm. And God would have us do that in our relationships. It's a great rule for our relationships too. 
even if you can't do someone some good, at least do them no harm. And part of doing no harm is to cast no slur on your fellow man. Or as one translation puts it, not take up a reproach against a friend. The idea is that you don't pick up or pass along stories about other people. And have you noticed, by the way, how much of this passage is about what we say? Well, religious people don't usually indulge in obvious public wrongdoing. You're unlikely to find church folk out at night stabbing people in the parking lot. However, we can be awfully good at verbally stabbing people in the back. And James says, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider where a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Wouldn't you like your neighbor to be someone who is consistent, who does what's right, who doesn't pass along gossip? Jesus said to treat others as you want to be treated yourself. You should be that neighbor yourself to others around you. The psalmist even gives us some advice about how to become this kind of person. He says, The person of integrity despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord. Now, at first sight, this sounds harsh. Aren't we supposed to love everyone? How can God be telling us to despise people? Well, it becomes clearer if you realize that despise doesn't mean hate. It basically means that you don't ascribe much worth to something if you despise it. In Genesis 25-34, it says that Esau despised his birthright. It doesn't mean that he hated it. It means that he didn't value it. And God doesn't expect us to have nothing to do with people who don't follow God's ways. Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 5 that if you want to do that, you're going to have to leave the world. What the psalm is saying is if you want to be a person of integrity, don't put a lot of value in the words or actions of people who don't honor God. Don't use them as role models. Consider the source. If you want to be a great soccer player, you might want to model yourself after Lionel Messi. If you want to be a great golfer, you might want to model yourself after Tiger Woods. And I'd encourage you to find people in the congregation, in the community that you respect and see as godly role models and seek to emulate them. You can also go beyond the congregation and surround yourself with role models. I surround myself with people like John Stott, Chris Wright, A.W. Tozer, Brother Lawrence, N.T. Wright, and the Apostle Paul. Now, of course, all those people are either too busy or too dead to spend time with me, but I can spend time with them through their writings, their podcasts, their videos, helping me to shape my life by the influence of their lives and their teachings. On the other hand, if your role models are drawn from people like Tiger King, which is in one of the most recent reality shows on Netflix, which I haven't seen and I don't recommend, um, or any number of any one of hundreds of other celebrities, you'll find it difficult to move towards integrity. Because what you read and who you model yourself after shapes your life. Find role models will help you to become a person of integrity. A person of integrity is someone who keeps their oath even when it hurts. This has been something of a life verse for me. Um, This is the kind of person I want to be known as. Someone who keeps his word, even when it turns out badly for me. 
Finally, a person of integrity is someone who is open-handed, who lends their money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, comes back to the heart again. If you're open heart, open-handed with your money, then it's less likely to have a hold on your heart. And you're more likely to be willing and able to help your neighbor when they need help. This psalm belongs to what's called in the wisdom tradition in the Old Testament. It has a lot in common with books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Lots of practical, practical advice on how to live well. And as often happens at the end of passages in those books, there's a, at the end of a piece of instruction, there's a promise. In this case, the promise is, he or she who does these things will never be shaken. Which is really very different from these pop philosophies that come up from time to time. You know, the secret, the law of attraction. Um, they tell you that to be successful in life, you have to focus on what you want and believe that you're going to get it and the universe will magically drop in your lap. Scripture has a very different point of view. It says, if you want to be successful in life, if you want to be someone who will never be shaken, then make it your aim to be a person of integrity. Ask God to help you speak and do what is right and true. Don't badmouth others. Don't take offense. Pick your role models wisely. Keep your word. Be generous with your time and with your money. Wouldn't you love to have someone like that as your neighbor? Wouldn't you love to be that someone? It's possible. If you make Christ the center of your life, that's holiness. And begin to have a true opinion of yourself, that's humility. You can be free to walk with integrity. This is a way to live well with your neighbor. This is the way to never be shaken. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you there is nothing we can do, no list of behaviors that we can check off to somehow earn our way into your presence. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. While we were yet your enemies, you sought us out and drew us to yourself. Lord, thank you for that. And yet, Lord, we recognize that your word gives us instructions about how people like us, people who have entered into relationship with you, how we should live. In order that we be more like you and that we might reflect your glory into the world. So we thank you for this passage, Psalm 15. We thank you for the the instructions. We thank you for the advice. Lord, for us to be people of integrity, who control, we control our tongues, we don't speak ill of people. People who are open-hearted and open-handed with their neighbors. People whose word can be trusted. Lord, we pray by your grace that you'd make us into these kinds of people. Not for our own glory, Lord, but for yours. And Lord, we pray too for other issues that surround us today, 
Lord, we thank you for the loosening of the um, restrictions in Antalya. And we hope that that means that the pandemic in, in Turkey is beginning to come under control. But we pray for Istanbul and other places where it's still really rough and they're still in lockdown. And Lord, we pray, even as things are reopening here and in other countries, we pray for wisdom, both for those in charge and for the average person, Lord, that they would make wise choices, that we would make wise choices as we go out into the world um, in, in the coming week. Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that we wouldn't put ourselves at risk or put others at risk. Lord, we pray for the refugee camp in Lesbos and the horrible overcrowding there, like 10 times more, more than that, people than that was there than that was designed for, and the resulting stress and anger and violence against other refugees, against volunteers. And the fact, Lord, that in terms of the virus situation, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Lord, have mercy, we pray. Lord, we pray for those in the congregation struggling with medical issues, for Janita, for Linda, for Catherine, for Vic. Lord, would you have your hand of healing upon them, we pray. We pray for Dorothy, Mark and Dindy's friend, who almost died last week. Pray that you restore it to full health. We pray for Cindy, a friend of Miriam's, who has coronavirus. And likewise, Lord, we pray that you would restore her to health. We pray for James, Emery's grandfather in England, who's in hospital with an infection. And thank you, Lord, that he's improving. We pray that you'd accelerate his improvement. Lord, we pray for the Mosaic Center as they move forward with the purchase of land and developing of that ministry. Lord, that you would give them wisdom and direction as they move forward in that. We pray for Johan and Mojde who were married this week and pray for a blessing on their marriage and on their life together. Lord, we rejoice with Jonathan and Lisa Blomberg on the birth of their twins, Aaron Shepherd and Noah Renwick and pray for strength and wisdom as they raise these, these, these gifts from you. Lord, we pray for the other churches in Antalya, for AIK, for, for Lighthouse, for the Orthodox Church next door, for the Russian church in uh, Konyalta, and for all the other churches, Lord. Lord, we have experienced your grace towards us during this time, and we pray that they would have experienced the same and continue to experience your grace through this time. And Lord, we pray for our neighbors, especially in this time of Ramadan. Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them in dreams and visions and draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.